Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Welcome to a huge Thanksgiving week, football rivalry week feast right here on Strong as Steel as we come at you for the next hour with your your involvement with us as you take a look at your Thanksgiving weekend of college football. I'm Michael Regai, pleased to be joined as always by the author of the book that if you're a college football fan, you can't do without as uh, we say hello and happy Rivalry week and happy Thanksgiving week to my partner, Phil Steele. How are you, Phil? You know, I'm doing real good. Michael, how about yourself? Nice call last night, by the way, on the uh, Eastern Michigan-Central Michigan game. Very enjoyable listening to you guys, you and Dustin. Well, yeah, appreciate that, Phil. And uh, congratulations to uh, Chris Creighton and the head coach of uh, his Eastern Michigan Eagles. Uh, Seven wins, Phil, for the first time in that program since 1989. And what a way to do it, huh? And come from behind fashion, uh, needing a touchdown to win it, and Brogan Roback delivered. So appreciate the kind words on that. And, Phil, we've got rivalry week ahead of us. All of you line up, 646-668-2248. I'm going to give you that number one more time, 646-668-2248, because you can't be adequately prepared for everything you need analysis-wise unless you jump on with us. Now, you can also, we love social media. We have the Twitter blowing up with our producer, Jim Nabosna. We want you to, if you can't give us a call, do it on Twitter, at Phil Steele, S-T-E-E-L-E, 042, at Michael Regai, R-E-G-H-I, at Jim underscore Nabosna, N-A-B-O-Z, and a Phil, let's start with though uh, our latest edition of the college football playoff rankings. And I just put it to you this way: the committee's kind of telling us how they they see things shaking out and how they value teams one through seven. Would you not agree? Uh, absolutely. In fact, uh, Kirby Hokett said last night they pretty much have a one through five. Then there's team number six by itself, and then team seven through ten. So I, I think we have a clear yeah. cut. Group A, B, C, and we know exactly what's going on with the committee. And uh, we know by that type of statement that a team like Alabama, which everybody knows, not only controls their own destiny, Michael, but can lose a game and still get in the playoffs. How about, yeah, uh, oh, maybe Ohio two. State. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ohio State and Michigan both control their own destiny right now. The winner of that game 
uh, will get in the playoffs if Michigan can win the Big Ten title game. Uh, Clemson controls their own destiny, and right now Washington controls their own destiny. And I think Kirby Holcutt made it clear, crystal clear last night where the committee stands. Yeah, and uh, Phil and I was, uh, later on the show, if we do wind up with uh, an Ohio State win over Michigan on Saturday and a Wisconsin-Penn State Big Ten championship game on December 3rd, uh, we'll see if things flip-flop then. We'll get into that a little bit later on. Right now, let's just start out again, 646-668-2248. We're going to cover as close as we can to 30 Rivalry Week football games for you this week. Let's start out by going to Atlanta and welcome Brian to Strongest Steel. And how about that? He's got a question about uh, the football selection playoff committee. Welcome, Brian. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks, guys. Hope you're doing well. Happy Thanksgiving. So I want to talk about Group B still instead of A, B, and C. You know, like I was, I was, I was pleased to see my Auburn Tigers at 13 last night. They are the second-ranked team in the SEC. I guess my question to you: I don't know how all of it works about selection for the Sugar Bowl, but what would it take? Even let's assume Auburn loses to Alabama and Tennessee beats Vanderbilt. Is there any way Auburn could still get in that Sugar Bowl? Uh, based off because if, if you if you look at it, they're not going to drop too far if, as long as they play a respectable game on the road at number one. Would you agree? Yeah, I think if they play a respectable game, because then you could compare the two games that the the teams played against Alabama, and of course Alabama steamrolled a, a beat up Tennessee team at the time, and Tennessee hasn't been all that impressive down the stretch. Uh, even last week against Missouri, their defense gave up over 600 yards. So uh, I think it's wide open. You can't discount a team like Florida from possibly making it as well. But uh, it'll be interesting to see who the Sugar Bowl ends up picking for that spot. And uh, I think Auburn's got as good a chance as anybody, Brian. Appreciate the call. Yeah, Brian, appreciate that. Uh, hey, Phil, let's go ahead. Let's, let's, let's break down the Auburn-Alabama uh, game, all right? Let's start right there. Uh, 16th-ranked Auburn, number one Alabama, cruising to what many think going to be an undefeated football season. How do you see it, Phil? Auburn got a shot. You know, if, if you would have asked me that question three weeks ago, Michael, I would have said, I think Auburn has a legitimate shot of beating Alabama. I mean, Auburn was the hottest team in college football. They had just steamrolled Mississippi State, Arkansas, Old Miss. Their offense was flying at over 600 yards per game. Their defense was downright nasty. And uh, now they've sort of fallen apart a little bit. Granted, Petway went out with injury. Sean White's been banged up and has been just a shell of himself. And both those guys could return this week. But here's one interesting note I found when I was looking at this matchup this week. And that is, as you know, Auburn's at its best when it can run the football. Well, so far this year, they have taken on three top 35 defenses, uh, top 35 rush defenses, I should say, in those three games. Auburn's offense is averaging just uh, 12.9 points per game. In all the other games, when they're not taking on a top 35 rush defense, they're averaging 42 points per game. So really the key, and you thought this for years, of stopping Auburn is how do you, if you stop the run, you can stop them. The three best run defenses they took on did stop them, and now they're taking on the best run defense in the country. And I don't think we saw an Alabama defensive touchdown last week, so we're still waiting on one of those. It's been a couple of weeks since we saw one. I think you might see one here as well. I just think Alabama's a superior team playing better, even if Petway and White are back for Auburn. And I know Alabama's going against good defense in, in Auburn, but uh, I see Alabama winning this one by about three touchdowns. 
All right, three touchdown wins, so we're off and rolling, uh, says Phil, with regard to Alabama and Auburn. State of Alabama always on fire. We have a bountiful rivalry week Thanksgiving feast going on for you. Let's keep it happening. 646-668-2248. Our good friend Pat from the, uh, the state of New York, his thoughts are on that Apple Cup way out west. Hey, Pat, welcome to Strong as Steel. Go right ahead. Hey, guys. Uh, Phil, I love all your stuff. Thanks a lot. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask about the Apple Cup. Um, you've had a great call on the Huskies this year, um, but I think it might be time to jump off the Husky bandwagon. Um, as you know, um, there's only one kind of Husky fan, and that's a fair-weather Husky fan. So I think if they lose this game, you're going to see the, uh, the Husky fans jump off the bandwagon. I want to know, are you going to call it before it happens? All right. Appreciate the call, Pat. Good talking to you again, buddy. Uh, you know, this is an How interesting about that, game. Bill? Yeah, yeah. Fairweather Husky uh, fans from Pat. <laughs> Pat jumping right to it. Uh, you know, when I look at Washington State, they're a team that has an improved running game this year. Mike Leach is generally his rush offenses average about 75 yards per game, 1.5 yards per carry. This year, how about 4.6 yards per carry, and they're over the 100-yard mark at 132. The defense is playing better. In fact, on the season, they're holding opponents to 42 yards below their season average, which is number 35 in the NCAA. So those are all good numbers for Washington State. And they, of course, have that great pass attack, led by Luke Falk, who's hitting 71% with the 36-7 ratio. But I think Washington is the more complete team here. First of all, their run game much stronger. They're averaging over 200 yards per game rushing, 5.6 yards per carry, Gaskins and Coleman, a dynamite duo at the running back spot. Jake Browning, well, he matches Luke Falk in the touchdown-interception ratio. How about 37-7 on the year? And then the receiving core, I like it a lot with John Rush and Dante Pettis. Now, defensively, they allow about 100 yards per game less. Tougher against the run. Better against the pass. Special teams edge, Washington. So I think Washington's superior on offense defense and special teams i know this is the apple cup i know washington state may have been looking ahead to this one a little bit last week because this one was much more important than the colorado game but i still am going to side with washington to go in there to pullman and come out with a victory by a touchdown or more this week i'm i'm not jumping off the bandwagon i'm sticking with the washington huskies this week thanks for the call pat yeah, appreciate that pat phil i'm with you maybe a little bit uh maybe a little bit tighter you say a touchdown huh yeah Touchdown, Touchdown or more. Touchdown, yeah. All right, all right. I, I, I say that for a reason, Michael. Listeners know what I'm talking about. I got you. I got you. <laughs> I, I got you. Understood. Six four six 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 eight twenty two forty eight. Let's uh, let's go to Oregon, and uh, of course that uh, that state's going to be revved up this week. We get uh, Tyler in here from the great state of Oregon as the the Beavers look to control the Ducks. How you doing, Tyler? Welcome from Oregon. Uh, good morning, folks. Uh, let's see. I'm just trying to stay dry out here. The rainy weather has definitely set in. And I feel I've got one question about a game for you, and I'm also curious about something else. First off, is this the year that Oregon State finally breaks their eight-game losing streak to that team down the road that I refuse to name? And also, who do you think is still going to be uh, alive when the playoff stuff settles, if you had the ballpark it right now? All right. 
appreciate it, Tyler. And, you know, Tyler, I think he's only missed one week of call-in here, Michael, so I appreciate you being a, a weekly caller there, Tyler. And uh, the Civil War, and what a game it's been. You know, Oregon State's had a couple of close calls where you think they're going to win, and at the last minute the car- carpet's pulled from under them, and they've had some blowout losses as well. But this Oregon State team has impressed me, and I like the fact they're at home for this one. As I mentioned in last week's podcast when we picked Oregon State over Arizona, uh, this Oregon State team at home this year, look at their games. A 14-point loss to Boise, which is understandable. They beat California. They took on a strong Utah team and only lost by five. They took on a strong Washington State team and only lost by four. And then, of course, waxed Arizona last week, uh, uh, 42-17. to Now they get the Ducks here at home. And Oregon finally got its offense rolling again. Justin Herbert had what I thought was his best game yet. He threw for 324 yards, the big game-winning touchdown pass with two seconds left. Royce Freeman, who has sort of been an afterthought this year. We all thought he was a Heisman contender at the start of the year. He finally got back over the 100-yard barrier last week, so the offense rolled up 575 yards against a very good Utah defense. And defensively, hey, these guys allowed less than 500 yards per game. They should throw a parade at Oregon because the defense has really struggled all season long. Uh, I think this is going to be a great game come right down to the wire, and I do give Oregon State a chance since they're at home and have played much better at home at getting the win. Plus, Oregon's out there uh, coming off a big win on the road and having to go to the road again. So I like the Beavers this week uh, in this one at home. Appreciate the call, Tyler. Great to have all of you on Strongest Still. Phil Stills here. I'm Michael Regai, our producer, Jim Nabosna. Great start to the show today. You guys are all lined up at 646-668-2248. Don't forget as well that uh, you can check out Phil's website, philsteel.com. You can get the weekly preview, steelsweeklypreview.com. Go inside the press box. We'll tell you more as the show goes on. And don't forget about on Twitter now. Our producer, Jim Nabosna, working feverishly here the day before Thanksgiving to line up all, all of your questions um, and thoughts to Phil and I on Twitter, at philsteel042, at Michael Regai, and at Jim underscore Nabosna. Let us uh, stay in the, uh, the great state of Oregon. Here's Jeremy. His thoughts are a little bit away from the Pac-12, though. Hey, happy Thanksgiving, Jeremy. Welcome to Strong as Steel. Go right ahead. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, Michael. Um, and Thank you. you too, Phil. Um, yeah, um, I have some questions about Tulane and UConn. Both teams are coming off blowout losses by more than 30 points. The line is strictly even at zero right now, not favoring either team. And it's probably been the toughest game in my mind to pick. Um, so uh, what are your thoughts on Tulane and UConn this weekend? All right, appreciate the call, Jeremy. appreciate you bringing up a game like this because I love talking about these. I do about the 20, 25 radio shows and TV shows during the week, and I guarantee it's the first time and probably the only time I'm going to talk about UConn and Tulane, so let's get to it. You know, both teams have had disappointing seasons. I think they both came in thinking they had a shot at bowl eligibility. Both stand here with just three losses and are going nowhere. UConn's offense has completely disappeared. Now, granted, they've taken on Temple and Boston College's defense the last two weeks and been shut out both times. But even against East Carolina's flimsy defense, only had three points the week before that. You have to think this can be a low-scoring game because Tulane's got a good defense. They're holding opponents to 42 yards below their season average. I don't see Connecticut doing a lot of damage against that Tulane defense. But on the flip side of the coin, Connecticut's had extra time to prepare. They're playing the option here. Now, early in the season, they played Navy. Navy has an explosive offense. 
they held the midshipmen to 235 yards per game rushing and just 365 total yards. That was the third best any team has done against Navy all season long. Uh, Connecticut had the uh, said the advantage of preparing for the option last year. They did well against Navy as well. They did well against Army in that game. So against option offenses, Bob Diaco's got it going on defensively. And when you look at Tulane's offense, it's been slowly going along. They got shut out last week uh, and only had six against UCF two weeks prior. So their offense has been struggling. Coulette really had a poor week passing the ball last week, 4-13 for 24 yards. So I think this is going to be exactly what everybody expects, a tight, low-scoring ball game. Because Diaco knows how to defend the option so well, I think Connecticut could pull this one out at home. And remember last year, their season was uh, going nowhere, and they, they had a good finish to the season by knocking off Houston in their final home game of the year, the only loss Houston suffered all year. So I think in this final home game, I'm going to give the edge of Connecticut. Thanks for the call, Jeremy. Phil, I'll add on that, too. I had UConn last week and uh, told Phil about uh, Bob Diaco's squad. He's gone with his true freshman, a uh, Phil Steele, number uh, 113 uh, QB coming in. He's gone with Donovan Williams, and they struggled. You're right, Phil. Uh, they haven't got anything on the board in the last two losses to Temple and B.C., but keep an eye on a surefire first-rounder, Obi Melanfonwu, who is a 215-pound hard-hitting free safety. Bob Diaco says he's the best he's ever had at wow. that position. So, Phil, I, I like you. I'm, I'm with you, my man. I'm going to go with Diaco and UConn uh, here, uh, but they got to find a way to generate some offense because it just just hasn't been there with the true freshman QB Williams. And We're glad you're here in, on Strongest Thanks for the Steel. inside info on that game, Michael. There you go. I got it. You know, I called UConn in Boston College last week, so uh, Steve Adagio's no power run game. Yeah, yeah, got some uh, got some things generated last week, so we'll see where both of them go. This week, you're going with us as you prepare your uh, Thanksgiving bounty. Phil, I don't know, is there anything greater than Thanksgiving dinner? If there is, it's rivalry week, right? We both can agree on that? I agree with that 100%. <laughs> and you know what? That's a fifth time you said rivalry, and you haven't talked like Bugs Bunny once saying it. So you're doing a great job. It's a tough word. <laughs> Well, I, I'm trying to slap my face every time I say it so we can enunciate properly. 646-668-2248. Let's head to uh, Gotham, the Big Apple, New York City, with some Pac-12 thoughts from our buddy Justin. Hey, Justin, welcome to Strong as Steel. How you feeling? Hey, good to be on. I was just curious on this rivalry week. I'm looking at this Arizona-Arizona State game Friday night. Do you think Arizona has a chance of getting their first Pac-12 win? Or do you think they're going to win less in the conference this year? All right. Appreciate the call there, Justin. And uh, you've got to think there's a chance because, I mean, if you followed Arizona State, they have been a beat-up football team. They've lost five in a row. Many of them have been blowout losses. Their offense dissipated last week uh, against Washington. They had just 245 yards. Of course, the Huskies have a pretty good defense. Uh, defensively, they're giving up a lot of yards and points. But, yeah, let's take a look at Arizona. They've been a team that uh, I have steadily picked against on a weekly basis. Their defense giving up 47 yards above what their opponents average on the 
on the year. And offensively, they've had some key injuries. Let's face it, it's affected their offense, especially at the running back position where they're forced to use wide receiver Samaji Grant as their feature back uh, at times, and uh, their quarterback, Brandon Dawkins, their top rusher. And last week, again, they struggled at Arizona State getting blown out by 25. So I think when you line up the two teams, Arizona State still has a shot at a bowl. If they can beat Arizona here, it's six wins for them. Meanwhile, for Arizona, they may be thinking about the offseason right now. This is a rivalry game. Uh, I like Arizona State. I think they're the stronger team, and I see them going in there and getting the win. Yes, Arizona has a chance. This is one of the games recently, if you look at their Pac-12 games, probably their best shot at a win all season. But I'm going to go with the Sun Devils in that one. Appreciate the call, Justin. Yeah, good of all, Rich Rodriguez, Phil. It has uh, it been a rough one on him, and uh, we'll see how he's able to rebound from that, huh, heading into 2017. Yeah, he's got a nice buyout on his contract right now, so I think he'll be around next year, and I think he does a good job overall at Arizona. It just uh, It's been one of those tough years coming in. All right, we keep rolling here on Strong as Steel. You may be preparing that Thanksgiving feast, and we are preparing uh, just so many outstanding and traditional rivalries coming up this week. We've we've touched on a few of them already here. Uh, 646-668-2248, that's the number to call. Let's uh, stay in New York City. Here's John with some, we just discussed uh, the American Athletic with uh, with UConn, and now let's uh, find out a little bit more about uh, maybe a big one in the uh, the American this week. Hey, John, how you doing? Welcome to Strong as Steel. Uh, thank you, guys. Happy Thanksgiving to you, first of all. Thanks, guys, John. Same to you, you sir. Hey, uh, Phil, love all your stuff. Love, love listening to you. Love your magazine. Uh, big time Navy fan, Phil. And I was just wondering, after a great year and breaking the top twenty-five this week, do you think Navy takes care of business at the end of the season with a win, or do you think SMU comes uh, is able to pull off the upset? All right, great call. Appreciate it, John. Appreciate talking about Navy as well. And you know, I'm going to make one side note here. I've been writing an article for the the New York Post every week. You know, they have the, the selections. I go, I should have more college plays in there because that's my forte. And they say, you know what? New York City's not really a college football town. And yeah, here we are with three. New York City calls are ready on the mm-hmm. podcast, so I love that, showing that New Yorkers do indeed care about college football, and you got to respect that. Now, generally, when I have a team that's in Navy situation, I want to play against them, and that situation is this. They've clinched their division. They've got the, the conference title game on deck. There's always a little bit of look ahead, and in Navy's case, the look ahead gets even stronger in the fact they've got Army the week after that, which might even be more important than the conference championship game next week. So they've got some key look ahead, plus they've got the division wrapped up, and they've got no by-the-way game against SMU. But Navy is the one team, I think, that can overcome those type of distractions. First of all, they don't even know who their opponent is next week. Will it be Temple? Will it be South Florida? There's no preparation to do because you don't even know who you're playing. Texas is a big, uh, a lot of military in Texas, so I think those military folks will rally around Navy. Even though there's no naval bases down there, usually rally around RV. I think they'll come and root for Navy in this one. And uh, the game being played at SMU, SMU had a good game last week against South Florida. Like the way they moved for 578 yards. You know, Ben Hicks started out the year with a negative ratio each week. He's throwing more touchdowns and interceptions. Braden West doing a great job at running back. But overall, Navy's a better team here. I think they have a slight edge on defense, and offensively, 
that option, once you get towards this half and midway point of the season, it's almost unstoppable. I mean, in the first four games, Navy was averaging about 30 points per game. Once again this year, they're up there averaging 45, 48 points per game since then. And I think that Navy offense, with that option, continuing to operate in full speed. I like Navy to win this one by double digits this week. Appreciate the call, John. I'm with you, Phil, there. Uh, Ken uh, Niamatololo, uh, certainly uh, every every football game, every every week out, Navy is always prepared to play, so I'm with you there. You guys keep them coming, 646-668-2248. That's how you get on strong as steel. Phil, a minute ago, you mentioned Matt Rule's Temple House. Eight-win football team right now. I talked to some folks in Philly uh, on another show earlier this week, and, and they're all riled up about Temple not getting their just desserts. How does that play in at Thanksgiving time? Phil, they got East Carolina coming in to Lincoln Financial. Temple keep winning and grab that ninth win of the year? Yeah, I, I think they do this week, Michael. And I've been very impressed. You know, at the start of the year, you look at Temple, right? And they opened up one and two. The Penn State loss wasn't even really that close. And then they, they beat mm-hmm. Charlotte and SMU. And then you look at that Memphis yep. loss. I watched the Memphis game. They dominated the Memphis game. Probably deserved a win. They had a 27-15 first down edge, but gave up a late lead and lost. That put them at 3-3. Three and three. Since then, these guys have been lights out. Now, granted, UCF probably deserved to win that game. Temple got a touchdown on the final play of the game, but they blew out South Florida at home, which is an impressive win and the reason they'll go to the title game next week if they win here. They beat Cincy by 21 and then back-to-back shutouts by a combined 52 to nothing. Matt Rule has got this team running the football well with Armstead. Phillip Walker is finally looking like the Phillip Walker he thought he could be at the start of the year, and that defense is holding opponents to 117 yards below their season average. That's the sixth best mark in the country. Now, you talk about a contrast of styles. East Carolina's defense, giving their opponents 59 yards above their season average. That's number 111 in the country. And, yeah, they've got that high-flying offense. They average on the season average about 30 points per game. But Phillip Nelson looks like he'll be out again. It's going to be Gardner Minshew for this one. Minshew's been doing a good enough job. They've been generating some points. But I just don't think they're on the same level. They're in the first year of their head coach. Matt Rule's got this Temple team going on. I'm not jumping in front of the Temple buzz, son. I'll tell you what, right now, if you look at Temple, I believe they have covered their last nine games against the spread. So when you got a streak like that, yep. you got to keep playing it. Vegas realizes it. That's why Temple's a 20-and-a-half-point favorite here. But uh, i got to side with the Owls in this one to clinch the division title and really looking forward to Temple Navy next week if that one happens. Oh, yeah, we all will be. We'll have a lot to discuss as we assess and analyze that one, Phil. All right, so Phil likes Temple there. You know, uh, Al Golden got that thing started in Philly. Steve Adazio kept it rolling. And Matt Rule, Al Golden's former Penn State teammate, keeping it happening is they look to get in that American championship game. All right, 646-668-2248, 646-668-2248. Phil, we love doing uh, the the group of five as well as the power five. I'm going to jump in right here. We got Maxid coming up in this group of five. Phil, it's for the Mac West Division crown, a shot to play opposite the Ohio Bobcats who clinched the east side last night. Phil, I got to tell you, I, how you feeling? You already anticipating the Toledo Rockets and Jason Campbell going into Kalamazoo to try to stop the row the boat work of P.J. Fleck in Western Michigan? Phil, how good might that one be on Friday at 5 o'clock? 
Should be one of the best games uh, of the weekend. And both teams have a legitimate shot at winning this. And I'll let the listeners know, this is Michael Regai's Mac Game of the Week. Hit it, Michael. Yeah, thank you, Phil. Toledo and Western Michigan. Now, you want to talk about offense? Wow! I'll say with an exclamation point after that, wow. These are two of the top offenses, folks, uh, all over the FBS. Western Michigan, 43.5 points a game, 509 yards a total low every time out. Toledo, right below them, 39 points a game, above them at 536 total yards per football game. Listen, Western Michigan's 8-0. They're ranked number 21 by the uh, the football playoff committee folks this week, but this is not going to be easy. Now, they've got the home game at uh, Kalamazoo, but Logan Woodside, you've heard me talk about them a lot, folks. 40 touchdown passes. That leads the FBS for Logan Woodside. He's only thrown seven picks. Tremendously accurate. Fabulous receivers in Corey Jones, Cody Thompson, and Michael Roberts. And then, of course, they've got uh, one of the top ground gainers in all of college football and the senior in Kareem Hunt, 1,155 yards and seven TDs. That sounds impressive, right? Wait till you hear about the Western Michigan offense. Uh, Zach Terrell has 27 touchdowns, Phil Steele. And just one pick. Now, you talk about touchdown-interception ratio for a quarterback. Zach Terrell, the best in the FBS. Corey Davis is about to shatter every pass-receiving mark we've ever seen in the FBS in his uh, his regular season finale. 16 touchdown catches, over 1,200 yards. Just a dynamic, electrifying receiver. Phil, this is all about offense. If Toledo knocks off Western Michigan, not only will they get knocked from the ranks of the unbeaten, it'll be Toledo going to Ford Field on December 3rd and playing Ohio in the MAC championship game. Phil, what do we got? Western Michigan is favored by what in this? Western Michigan's a nine-point favorite, Michael. They're a nine-point favorite. Phil, I like Western Michigan to stay undefeated. A 37-31 win. They win it outright, but Phil Toledo, Toledo is the play Getting nine, if you're looking at it from that perspective. 37-31 Western Michigan, but Toledo the play with the nine points. What does your computer say, thing, Phil? i got to know. Oh, computer's got Western by 12. So the, you and my computer disagree on this one. Yeah. So, All right. But I'll tell, you, All right. I'll tell you this. The key here, I think if Western Michigan finishes unbeaten, they will jump Boise State. Should Boise State even get there? I don't know if Boise State would beat – San Diego State in the Mountain West title game. Right now the committee has right. Boise ahead of Western, but I think when all the dust settles, I think Western Michigan gets there and gets that group of five bid and uh, starts rolling the bow in the rolling the boat in the uh, the January one playoffs. Or not playoffs, but bowls. I agree with, in the bowls. I agree with you. And Phil, if that happens, if they're undefeated at thirteen and zero, it's probably the Cotton Bowl for the Western Michigan Broncos and PJ Fleck. So we'll, we'll yes. keep an eye on that as we look at the bowl situation. So there is the Maxion story on Friday with so much on the line. We're rolling here on Strong as Steel. Michael Regai, Phil Steele, of course, the top analyst in all of college football. 646-668-2248. We're delighted all of you are with us. Like our man Dave in Chicago. Going to be a lot of attention on the Pac-12, Utah and Colorado. Hi, Dave. How are you? Welcome. I'm good. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me on. So, a uh, huge, 
huge Phil Steele fan. Been I've been uh, buying your your annual for at least ten years, and I've uh, got a couple family members that are CU alums. So really happy about this. Uh, how McIntyre's turned it around. Um, Want to know what your thoughts are? Utah, Colorado. Uh, the last five years, this game has been decided by a total of twenty-five points, so average of five points per year. The line currently, I think, is ten. I think Colorado wins the game, but I think Utah keeps it close, tries to slow the game down a little bit, and I think the play, as in, as in the previous call, would be uh, Utah. All right. Any thoughts? Hey, and Dave, by the way, thank you very much for uh, picking up the magazine for 10 straight years. I'll do my best to make sure you're picking it up the next 10 to 20 years as well, uh, keeping it at the top. Uh, you know, this is a great game. I just talked to uh, just a radio show with Bill Riley, who does the play-by-play for Utah. And, you know, the Utah fan base is uh, pretty much crushed. I mean, they went in the last week thinking we can get, make the play outside chance at the playoffs. Worst-case scenario, we could get to the Rose Bowl this year. And the chances were there. And they're looking ahead to Utah, Colorado, the battle for the Pac-12 South title. And then some team named Oregon comes in and scores a touchdown with two seconds left in the game on a play that was originally ruled incomplete. Then they ruled it a touchdown. The loss eliminated Utah. So even if they win here, USC goes to the Pac-12 title game, and Utah has been eliminated. They may be going to some middle-of-the-road bowl unless they pull the upset here. Now, I look at Utah. I see a team with one of the best defensive lines in the country. Since Joe Williams has come out of retirement, he has done a phenomenal job. Once again, last week, 149 yards. He's averaging about 200 yards per game rushing in his five games. And they also have the best special teams in the country. But Colorado's really a complete team. They don't do anything great, but they do a lot of things that are good. And they really don't have a weakness. They run the ball well, 210 yards per game rush. They throw the ball well. They're completing 65% over 260 yards there. They stop the run. They're only allowing 3.9. They stop the pass. They're only allowing 50.5%. Special teams is the edge Utah has. Home edge for Colorado. And i got to think emotionally Colorado better prepared for this. They are still fired up. Utah has to be a little deflated after last week's loss. So I think heading into last week, I would have put this game at Colorado by about uh, probably four to seven points. But I think a deflated Utah, I might have Colorado winning this one by the 10 here. So I I think it's one of those where I'm going to lean with the buffs. I know they're laying 10, a very slight lean with Colorado in that one. But once again, Dave, really appreciate the call. I'm with you, Phil. I tell, how about the job my, Coach McIntyre has done uh, in Boulder? What a fabulous run that he's on, right? And I, and I think they're going to, I think they're going to lay it on Utah this week and and win by double digits here. A couple of touchdown win for the Buffaloes of Colorado. Very impressive this year, Phil. You know, with McIntyre, he did the same thing at San Jose State. He took over a team where in his first yes. year he went in there. And he had to play players on both sides of the ball. They were so depleted scholarship-wise. He had two bad years in his third year. He's a 10-win season at San Jose State. I talked to Coach uh, McIntyre every year, and I was talking to him this spring when he thought Davis Webb was going to go there. And I was thinking Colorado, hey, might move these guys up, move them up. And then Webb decided to go to Cal, and I said, oh, well, even though Coach Coach Mack is very high on him. I ended up not picking him as high as I would have liked to, and I, I regret that choice because he was very high on his team. It's a junior, senior-laden team and very talented. Well, they've been the dregs, as we know, of the Pac-12 the last few years. But, oh, Coach McIntyre's got it headed up in the right direction, done a fabulous job this year. 
You guys are fabulous because you've come to the right place. Strong as steel here the day before Thanksgiving. It's rivalry week. It is absolutely our feast, our bounty for all of you after you uh, have meal after meal after meal all weekend long. 646-668-2248 is the number to call. 646-668-2248. Phil and I have more from the Power Five, the Group of Five, everything to get you set for the weekend. We got to get our producer Jim Nabosna front and center. You guys have blown it up on Twitter as you always do at Phil Steele zero four two at Michael Regai at Jim underscore Nabosna. Happy Thanksgiving, Jimmy. What do you got going on for us on social media today? We will start off with Steve S, who wants to know if there is any way at all Western Kentucky doesn't cover against a terrible Marshall team. Uh, that's a good question, and really, if you look at look at how the teams have been playing this year, Marshall has begun just a horrific season, a year where you would have thought they would have been a CUSA contender. And Jimmy, I'm going to have to say what some folks say to their listeners uh, when they're taking a call. Turn your radio down in the background there, buddy. We're getting some uh, background. <laughs> but uh, uh, with, with Marshall, they come in with just three wins this year. They're off a horrible loss to FIU by 17. I thought they may have... Shown some signs of life when they beat Middle Tennessee State by 25. But this is a Western Kentucky team that just doesn't take any prisoners. They beat North Texas 45-7, FIU 49-21. And uh, they're playing with a chance to get to the uh, CUSA title game. Uh, and the last time they came to Marshall, it was a, a close game. And they said last year's game was a, little bit, a bit more of a blowout. But, uh, no, I like Western Kentucky in that one, uh, minus the points. Appreciate the uh, tweet there, Steve. Nate Lambert would like to know if he can get a preview of the Utah State versus BYU game. Disappointing year for Coach Wells at Utah State. No doubt about it. They've come in with much higher expectations. And overall, they're not playing that bad. When you look at Utah State, you know, like last week, for example, they had a two-lead, two-score lead against Nevada, let that up late. They outgained Nevada 523-341, to but came up short on the scoreboard. Uh, they had a close three-point loss to New Mexico, uh, a close loss to Colorado State, a close loss to Boise State, a close loss to Air Force. In fact, on the year, while they are just one and six, uh, or one and one and six in conference play, they're plus three yards per game. So I can make a case for Utah State, but this is a BYU team that right now is taking no prisoners. Uh, they've got the run game going now. Jamal Williams missed last week's game with injury. I expect him to return here. Taysom Hill has been having a much better year down the stretch throwing the football. And defensively, they're holding opponents 30 yards below their season average. It's a BYU team that's uh, got their bowl bid locked up, but it's their home finale. They're playing great down the stretch. They've outscored their last three opponents. Granted, Cincinnati, Southern Utah, and UMass, but by a combined total of 108 to 19, I'm going to have to go with BYU to win this one by three touchdowns or more. Lance Leffler loves Kentucky at plus 26 versus Louisville and would like to know if you agree. You know, I do like Kentucky plus the points in this one. Now, now the potential is there for a blowout because if you look at Kentucky's rush defense, uh, it's on the poor side. They're giving up on the year. 5.4 5.4 yards per carry in conference play, 5.1 yards per carry overall. Louisville's got a pretty effective run game, and if they can keep their run game going, they could indeed blow them out. But I'm going to go back to this series in the last couple of years. I mean, remember last year, 
Kentucky had no business being in the game with Louisville, playing for a bowl bid, and they led that thing 24-7 to at the half against Louisville. Now, Louisville was able to come back and actually beat them by 14 at the end, but I like the way they competed in that game. And even back in 2014, a game that they appeared to have in hand, they end up losing a tight one, 44-40. This time, Kentucky's not playing with that bowl pressure. They've got a bowl locked up, so they can play a little bit looser than they have the last two years. And for Louisville... You know, coming into that game against Houston last week, the players were like, we're not ranked high enough. We should be here. We should be there. They were thinking playoffs. Their bubble got burst. And generally when you see a team whose bubble gets burst, they struggle the next week. And I think you might see Louisville struggle a second straight week. It's a rivalry game. Louisville is a huge underdog, almost a four-touchdown underdog here. I am going to take Kentucky plus the points. And I think they give Louisville a game in this one, much closer than you would think if you played the game on paper. Appreciate the tweet. I'm with you on that, Phil. I like Kentucky, too, to stay close. No question about it. And Bobby Petrino's squad last week, they didn't look ready to play. Fumbling the opening kickoff, it went downhill from there. So I'm with you on Kentucky. Hey, Jimmy, uh, how about one more solid one in this segment for us from social media? Greg Cotton is curious who you like in the Egg Bowl, Ole Miss at minus 7.5 or Mississippi State plus the points. Well, Mississippi's playing to try to make it to a bowl game. Mississippi State's been eliminated. So this is Mississippi State's bowl game right now. And uh, uh, both defenses are struggling. i tell you what, Mississippi's given up 5.5 yards per carry, and uh, Mississippi State's given up 5.1 yards per carry. Both teams have capable enough running backs to take advantage of it. I think Nick Fitzgerald, the QB for Mississippi State, uh, should have a good good game here. Uh, but with both defenses struggling, you look at the, uh, I think everybody's going to tune in to watch Shea Patterson because he's one of the most exciting players. He's a true freshman, uh, makes a lot of exciting plays out there. I like the over probably the best in this particular matchup because I think that the two defenses really struggling and neither team with much to lose, although Mississippi playing for a bowl bid. And I'm going to take the underdog here. I think Mississippi State shows some pride. I know they're off two big back-to-back losses, but this same team that upset Texas A&M three weeks ago, and Mississippi hasn't really proved that they can be a great favorite this year. So I'm going to go with the underdog, and I'm going to say it's going to be a high-scoring game and definitely an egg bowl worth watching this year. Hey, that's how we do it on social media. That's on Twitter. Again, keep them coming. We'll visit with Jim Nabosna again uh, here on Strong as Steel today at Phil Steele 42 at Michael Regai at Jim underscore Nabosna. We got room for you as well, all right? The uh, conventional way. You could give us a holler, 646 668 2248. That's 646 668 2248. Around these parts on uh, Strongest Steel and all over the, the the states of Ohio and Michigan, Phil, is known as the game. And this year kind of makes me think about uh, Wayne Woodrow Hayes and Glenn Bo Schembechler because I feel that that's exactly what Jim Harbaugh and Urban Meyer are going to rekindle. I hope it's for the next 10 years at least. Let's delve into uh, number three, Michigan, in uh, the football playoff rankings right now, visiting Columbus to battle with number two, Ohio State. And, Phil, I, right off the top, I got so many calls last week and tweets about, oh, neither one of them were impressive. They both struggled. Listen, they both did what they had to do, win in week 11 in inclement weather. Phil, how do you assess that with this one and see second go-round between Jim Harbaugh and Urban Meyer? 
Yeah, I agree. In fact, when you called the podcast last week, I liked Michigan State plus the points. I like Indiana plus the points. And uh, you could tell both games with that type of look ahead on the line, you're going to struggle to keep focus with your team. But it, this is a plus game for both teams. And really, Michael, I think this one might come down to uh, who makes the fewest mistakes. Could it be a Woe, uh, a, a Bo versus Woody type of game where, you know, the two teams, uh, you look at both passing attacks. Uh, JT Barrett has struggled mightily at times this year. Yeah, he's had some really good games, but he's also struggled a lot. And then with Michigan, uh, even if Spate comes back, would he be 100%? But I think it'll be John O'Corn. O'Corn hit just 7-16 to 16 in inclement weather last week, 59 yards passing. Both teams have among the best secondaries in the country. So if you're throwing a football out there, you could, you're prone to an interception. That interception could very well change the game. So then it might come down to who runs the football better. And I give Ohio State a little bit edge there. I like Weber and Samuel. I know Devion Smith solid, as is Chris Evans. Uh, rushing defense, slight edge there to Michigan. So the run game's pretty even. Yeah, going to give the quarterback edge to Barrett. I don't think he's going to have a great day passing, but I, I would give the quarterback edge there. Uh, I think it's going to be an outstanding game. So this one where, you know, coming into it, Michael, I was thinking, well, Ohio State should be favored probably by close to a touchdown because they're a slightly better team and they're at home. Then my computer tells me Ohio State by 8-10. to 10. So with that said, I'm going to call for the Buckeyes to win this one by a touchdown or more, but I think it's going to be a great football game. And once again, I think it's going to be the team that makes the fewest mistakes wins this game. Yep, so Phil likes Ohio State there. I'm going to go the other way, and I'll tell you why. I like Michigan to win this football game. And, Phil, I'm going to bring something into it that I heard nobody talk about this week, and that is, you know, Jim Harbaugh's special teams, they've blocked four punts on the year, two of them for touchdowns. They've blocked three field goals on the year. And, of course, you got Jabril Pepper's special team. I'm going to give the edge to Michigan in the special teams, and i got a feeling they're going to get a big player, too, out of their special teams unit. And I like Michigan to win this football game and end all the conversation and worry about whether Penn State's going to get in. So you and I will have some fun, and we'll bid a Thanksgiving uh, drumstick on that, Phil. How about that? Sounds good. You got it, Michael. That should be good. Yeah, should be a lot of fun. And, of course, the game is now once again, I think, uh, because of Meyer and Harbaugh, it's got that Hayes-Schembechler feel to it. I know that's old school. But we'll see where that goes. All right, Phil, let's uh, let's keep rolling here. And again, six four six 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 eight twenty two forty eight. Here's uh, here's our man from Connecticut, Toby, checking in with some thoughts about uh, Boston College and Wake Forest. Toby, I called BC and UConn last week. Uh, let's get Phil's thoughts on the assessment. How you doing, Toby? Happy Thanksgiving. Hey guys, happy Thanksgiving as well. Uh, yeah, I was just calling in to see what you thought about the Wake BC game. I know BC played uh, pretty well versus UConn last week, but I happen to think they're a little bit overrated. Just wanted to see what you thought about the Wake BC game. All right, appreciate the call. You know, Wake right now has got that uh, six wins, so they're bowl eligible and they they can relax a little bit. But you know, they won't. I like the way they're playing this year under Clawson. Defensively, they're holding their opponents to 15 yards below their season average. It's one of the better weak defenses I've seen. Now, offensively, they've really been struggling. Of course, the last two weeks they took on Louisville and Clemson in their games, uh, but very competitive against Louisville. In fact, led them 12-10 to 10, uh, in the fourth quarter with 10 minutes to go until imploding a little bit, and I thought they played a decent game against Clemson. Now, uh, Wolford should be back at QB this week. He missed last week. They went with Kyle Kearns at QB. 
They've got Colburn and Carney. I, I like what I saw to Kate Carney in the spring game. He's a physical back. He's only averaging 3.8 yards per carry, but they've got the semblance of a, of a uh, you know, an adequate offense. So BC's much the same thing. They're a defensive team. Now, their defense holding opponents in 98 yards below their season average, number 11, and they're a great bully. Put them up against a Florida State, a Louisville, a Clemson, a Virginia Tech, teams that are loaded with speed at the skill positions and a mobile quarterback, they're in trouble. They've had a lot of blowout losses this year. But put them against a team that they match up with physically, and Steve Adazio hasn't played extremely well. They probably should have beaten Georgia Tech in the opener. They beat UMass handily, Wagner, Buffalo. Uh, they beat NC State on the road this year, and then last week they drubbed Connecticut 30 to nothing. So I think with that in mind, even though they're the underdog here, they need one win to get to six, and I think Adazio gets it. So I'm going to call for BC to pull the upset in that one, and appreciate the call as always, Toby. Phil, I love your phrasing there that Steve Adazio and his squad are, are great bullies. That, 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 I love it. That's <laughs> spot on. Uh, you know, because he told me last week, Phil, he said, you know what, listen, I'm going to be honest. We don't have anywhere near the talent that Louisville and Florida State uh, do, and they kicked us, and we deserve to get kicked. And, you know, he put it in a, in a fashion that I think uh, you just laid out. So very, very good call on the, uh, the bully thing. That's how they want to play, too, very physical and tough. All right, 646-668-2248. Phil, another big uh, rivalry, one that had a lot more attached to it in years gone by, but USC hosting Notre Dame. Trojans up to number 12 in the latest college football playoff rankings. Phil, a lot of people think that uh, Clay Helton's squad's playing as well as anybody in the country. What say you with Brian Kelly having all the sanctions come down and the vacating wins yesterday from their 11 and 12 seasons. Well, you know, uh, ESPN does a, a Vegas power ratings, and I'm very pleased that we're a contributor to that. I send in my set of power ratings to them, and uh, USC's up there at number four in the power ratings right now. And really, their weakness coming into the year was an inexperienced defensive line. They were giving up over 250 yards per game rushing in the first four games. When I talked to Coach Helton this spring, his concern was that defensive line. He said, you know, we've got the athletes who just don't have any experience. Look at their last three games. They held Oregon, Oregon to 85 yards rushing. Nobody does that. They held Washington to 17 yards rushing. Now that the defensive line's playing well, you knew they had the linebackers. You knew they had the secondary. You knew they had the special teams. They've got Sam Darnold now in a QB after they lost those three games early on. They've been dynamic. They've got the, some of the best skill players at running back and receiver in a dynamic offensive line. USC is one of the best uh, total teams in the country right now, and I don't think they're going to want to take their foot off the gas for this one. And with Notre Dame, you know, they they beat Army two weeks ago. They still have shot at a bowl. And last week against Virginia Tech, they got up 24-7. to I don't know if they thought they had the game easily or what happened. Maybe they relaxed. But all of a sudden, VT got a touchdown right before the half to make it 24-14. Notre Dame still led by 10 after three quarters, but ended up losing the game. Bowl hopes are gone. And Deshaun Kaiser, just 3-13 of in the second half of that game. Not very good after a great start to the uh, the game. So I think when you look at Notre Dame, their defense has uh, been weaker all year. They're, they are holding opponents, surprisingly, at 45 yards below their season average, but they do well against the option, not so well against everything else. I just, I'm just i not going up against this USC buzzsaw right now. And while Notre Dame's loss, and one thing I want to point out, Notre Dame, all, six, or all seven of their losses this year have been by seven points or less, all close games. 
But UCLA had that same thing going for them last week. All of UCLA's six losses had been by 10 points or less. Most of them seven or less. They lost by 22 to this buzzsaw. I'm going to take USC in that one. Mm, yeah, it should be a lot of fun, and uh, I'm with you, Phil, on the way USC is playing. Can't beat it. All right, so much talk about the Penn State Nittany Lions, James Franklin squad. Here they sit at eight in the rankings that came out last night, Phil. Mark D'Antonio and Michigan State, they rose up. Two-point conversion went bad, or they might have knocked off Ohio State last week. Happy Valley, noon kickoff, Penn State playing for so much, Phil. Do they get a little bit tight? with so much on the line is my question against D'Antonio to you. I, I think they have all that going against them. You know, a few weeks ago on the show, Michael, I pointed out a, a stat. I said that uh, in, the la- in the five weeks of the playoff rankings, the teams in the playoff rankings in the top five, and generally it's, it probably could go deeper than that, but they were 6-14 and 14 against the spread, meaning they don't play up to the level everybody expected them to. Then the first right. week A&M loses. The other four teams all win in blowouts. You think, ah, oh, that was a dumb stat filled throughout. Well, guess what? Last two weeks, it's been true to form again. And last week again, the teams in the top five, how about 0-5 against the spread? Why is that? Well, first of all, they play tight, which is what you just hit on, Michael. Secondly, the players on the team start going, well, you know, if we win and they lose and we win and they lose, then this happens and we can get here and we could do that. And they start playing that type of game. And Penn State's all about that right now. You would think that the players have got to be thinking that because they have a chance. There's talk about Penn State and the playoffs. Now, what does it take for us to get there? Well, we need Washington to lose, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, Michigan State's got three wins this year. They're going nowhere. But you make Mark D'Antonio an underdog, and you better be prepared to pay the price. They beat Notre Dame. They almost beat Michigan. In fact, they hung 401 yards on Michigan. That's the most yards anybody has put on Michigan all year. And they almost beat Ohio State. They outgained Ohio State 334 to 310. In fact, on the year, while they have a poor record in the Big Ten at 1-8 or 1-7, they're outgaining their Big Ten foes by 55 yards per game it's a dangerous team they're an underdog Penn State is going to be playing tight and while I like how their defense has been playing since Cabinda and Bell came back healthy like the way the offense has been moving with McSorley and Barkley I think Michigan State's got a prime chance of pulling the upset here Mm. Uh, I think it's going to be go right down to the wire Whoa, so there it is. I you listen I'm right with you on everything you said this is going to be fascinating in Happy Valley around Mount Nittany on Saturday. All right. Uh, what do you say we hear? Uh, we got rapid fire to come up as well. I want to get a few more tweets in with uh, Jim Nabosna, our esteemed producer. All right, Jimmy, give us, uh, give us three more stellar tweets here on Strong as Steel if you got them. Go right ahead. We will start with Jason Juggins. would like to know, he says, UGA is playing an unbelievable amount of freshmen this year. Will that youth hurt them in a huge rivalry game versus Tech? All right. Uh, you know, when I look at this this matchup, I do see the uh, a lot of underclassmen for Georgia, but what I also see is a team that's probably better than its record would indicate, and there, there's talent there on offense. I mean, when you look at them, to have guys like Chubb and Michelle in the backfield, uh, Jacob Eason is a quarterback that's very capable, but uh, to me the biggest stat of this game is Georgia Tech comes in off of two wins the past two weeks, and those wins have been over Virginia and Virginia Tech, and they have been out first down 50-30 to 
23 in those two games. So a little bit misleading each of those. They got blasted by North Carolina on the road. They've had a lot of games this year. You go back to the uh, the Miami of Florida game they lost by 14. Clemson obliterated them in the first half. It wasn't even a game. They were outgained 327 to 30. And even in the opener against Boston College, outgained by 112 yards, managed to win. I think Georgia Tech's a little bit there. On, you know, on the season, are being outgained by 23 yards per game. Georgia is better than its record would indicate. I like the defense. It's her first crack at this one in the rivalry. So add it all up. I like Georgia to get this one by a touchdown or more this week. Ethan would wants to know, who do you see pulling out the win in the New Mexico versus Wyoming game? Well, I tell you what, Boise fans are clearly rooting for uh, New Mexico in this one because uh, a win and that would uh, put Boise into the possible group of five. But uh, it's a good Wyoming team, one that I think uh, that, well, first of all, they shocked me. They beat San Diego State. Nobody beat San Diego State in the Mountain West Conference play. So that was an extremely good game. I like Brian Hill at running back, Josh Allen at QB. Defensively, they have been struggling all year, but they played a good game last week. They held San Diego State to 389 yards. Uh, on the season, they're giving up uh, opponents 48 yards above their season average. Now, New Mexico is a team that runs the option well, uh, which is a nice advantage, especially late in the year. The option is tough to prepare for. And uh, you look at how they've been playing down the stretch. They did get drubbed by Colorado State last week. In fact, they got some late scores to make it 49-31. But prior to that, they had been on a nice little win streak and had beaten Air Force. This game is being played in New Mexico. It's their home final. Wyoming's playing with some pressure. And Wyoming's laying a field goal on this one. I'll take the three. I think it's going to be a close game down on the wire, decided by a field goal one way or the other. Uh, but I, I definitely give Wyoming a, a, a probably a little bit above a 50% shot of winning that game. And we'll end it with Danny Zay, who's got a question on a Thanksgiving Day game between LSU and uh, Texas A&M. And he wants to know, if will LSU having to play Florida last week hurt them as they are now on a short week versus A&M, who got to play UTSA on Saturday? Yeah, the scheduling definitely helped them because uh, LSU originally scheduled for a cupcake game prior to A&M going into College Station is not good. But, you know, since Hubenek uh, took over at QB for Texas A&M, their offense has not been that dynamic. In fact, Mississippi State and Mississippi are having a tough time keeping folks under 600 yards right now at this point of the season. Uh, Texas A&M only had 382 and 342 yards against them. And last week, they only put up 23 points against UTSA. And here they take on the second-best defense in the country in LSU, one that's holding opponents to 158 yards below its season average. Now, LSU will probably be without Kendall Beckwith, their outstanding linebacker, probably their top defensive player. I don't know if Leonard Fournette's be able, going to be able to go here. He was sort of iffy coming into last week. He did get some carries, but was sort of ineffective, average under four yards a carry. But even without Fournette and Beckwith, I think LSU's the stronger team. Orgeron will have them fired up for this, despite the fact they come in with four losses. And they really deserve to beat Florida last week. They had a 23-14 first down edge, 423 to 270 yard edge. Ten or three different drives inside the 10-yard line resulted in zero points for LSU, which really hurt them. I like LSU, lower scoring game to get this one in College Station. I'm going to call for LSU to win that one by about 10. Appreciate it, Jimmy. Good stuff. All of you on Twitter today, you were fabulous. Uh, real quick, Phil, Ed Orgeron, does he keep his job and uh, get the interim label taken off at LSU? 
It, I think it depends what else is out there. Uh, I'd give them slightly under a 50% chance, but I still think there's a chance. If they can beat A&M, win the bowl game, uh, the players love him. He's, he's, I love his line from four or five weeks ago. He is the first LSU coach that doesn't have an accent. I love that line. tells you how he fits in there at LSU. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like Eddie O. Done well. Good man. All right. Well, we've got room for you now. Hey, Phil, we're gonna while everybody's basting the turkey and making that stuffing, we got to get out of the huddle quick and up-tempo this thing and go rapid fire because we're going to stay around for another 10 minutes or so. Correct, sir? Might make it another five or so. Michael, i got a TV show i got to do. Okay. But, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's go ahead and rap, see if we can rip out five games here. How about steel with a TV show? All right, let's go to the Big Ten. Wisconsin, they're hanging around, Phil. College football playoff rankings. Badgers got a shot. They host Minnesota. How do you see it? You know, it's tough to lay a lot of points with this Wisconsin team, but the matchup I like best here is Minnesota's offense versus Wisconsin's defense. And uh, the bats, the, uh, looking a little bit closer, Minnesota's only good when they're able to run the ball. Rodney Smith, Shannon Brooks. But this year they're actually averaging 63 yards below what their opponents normally average. So their offense, if you come in allowing 363 yards per game, they're only going to gain 300 yards on you. Meanwhile, Wisconsin, their defense hasn't had a bad game all year. In fact, they're holding opponents to 109 yards below their season average. So I think Wisconsin shuts down that Minnesota run game. I don't think Mitch Leidner can do the damage at quarterback. He's got a 6-8 ratio. And on the flip side of the coin, if you give Wisconsin's offense good field position all game, they are finally starting to run the ball like the old Wisconsin teams. You know, 363 yards against Illinois, 221 against Purdue. Corey Clement's got over 1,000 yards now. Ogun Bawale is playing much better. So this Wisconsin team is getting its run game going. I like the Badgers to win this one by 17 to 21 points and wrap up that Big Ten West title yeah and phil that will not be music to the ears of mike riley and his huskers of nebraska now they got to go to iowa city and they need a wisconsin law so if uh, they don't get that does that change your thoughts about uh, them being able to grab what would be the regular season ending win against parents and his iowa hawkeyes well, I, I like Iowa in this game against Nebraska. And, you know, the Iowa-Nebraska game takes place on Friday. The Wisconsin game right. takes place on Saturday. So they won't know the result. There you go. So they're going to come in thinking we need to win the Big Ten regardless. But will they have a quarterback? Uh, Tommy Armstrong was hurt his hamstring on the game-winning touchdown against Minnesota two weeks ago. Didn't play last week. He's listed as questionable. And then his backup, Riker Fife, broke his left wrist. He had a pin inserted in it this week. He's listed as questionable. Possibility he could play. I just like the way Iowa's playing right now. I mean, Iowa in their last home game beat Michigan. I think that gave him some confidence. Remember when Penn State beat Ohio State? That Penn State that beat yep. Ohio State wasn't playing very well, offensively or defensively. Since that upset, Penn State it has been on fire on both sides of the ball and been playing like one of the better teams in the country. Well, last week, Iowa came off that win against Michigan. You wondered about letdown. They just obliterated Illinois, 28 to nothing. They had a 16 to 10 first down edge. C.J. Beathard not having the type of year expected, but he's got Wadley and Daniels to run the ball. Nebraska doesn't have an overpowering defense, uh, one that's you know, on the season, uh, they've, they've given up a few yards running against better running teams, and Iowa's at home for this one. So I, I like Iowa to pull off the uh, the win at home. They're a slight, slight favorite in the game, about one and a half, two points, and I think Iowa gets it done at home. 
Yeah, I'm with you. It'll improve their bowl status as well uh, out of the Big Ten. All right, Phil, let's uh, try to grab a couple more. All right, can we do that as we hit the top sure. of the hour here on Strong as Steel? Let's, um, let's take a look at that uh, State of North Carolina get-together. Larry Fedora's got Mitch Trubisky as trigger man. They're hosting NC State. Phil, where does this one shade? It's a rivalry game, and these two do not like each other. So, I mean, it is one thing where uh, last year uh, uh, Fedora laid it on NC State. They got out to a huge lead, ended up winning 45-34. Prior to that, they had been upset quite a few times by NC State in the rivalry game. And, you know, when you look at NC State, the thing I like about them defensively is that defensive line. They can stop the run. They're only allowing 3.1 yards per carry. So I think they could slow down Elijah Hood uh, in this one. Now, Trubisky, who's elevated himself to maybe the top quarterback for next year's draft, will do some damage against that NC State defense. But on the flip side of the coin, North Carolina has a tough time stopping the run. In fact, their last uh, around the season, let's just go there. They're giving up 230 yards per game on the ground, 4.5 yards per carry. And Matthew Days, one of the more underrated running backs in the country, he averages about 100 yards per game over the last two years. He missed the final five games last year. Ryan Finley, their quarterback, struggling a little bit down the stretch with the ratio, but is a capable QB when it knows the offense inside and out. So I think NC State, North Carolina are comparable teams. North Carolina's a pretty large favorite here. They're about 12 and a half. They're going to be thinking, uh, you know, they play this game on Friday, so they're going to be hoping that they can win here, and then they're going to need a Virginia Tech loss to get to the ACC title game. I think NC State, which is right now trying for its sixth win in a bowl, gives them everything they want. I'd like NC State to take this one right down to the wire. Yeah, keep close tabs on that one. All right, Phil. Yeah, we know the Clemson's just uh, got to think about continuing to win, but they've got that South Carolina rivalry with the Gamecocks coming up in rivalry weekend. Does Clemson just get, pull the trigger, get the win, and stay in the uh, stay in the top four in the F, uh, in the playoff rankings? I think they and they do not need blowouts. They do not need style points. They nope. just need a W and a W. And I'm going to go back to last year's game, Michael. You know, last year Clemson was unstoppable. They had Deshaun Watson playing like a Heisman winner. They had a high-flying offense. They had a defense that was just lighting into teams. South Carolina limped into that thing, a, a bad team with an interim head coach that had won three games on the year and had lost four games in a row. And what happened? Clemson won the game, but they only won the game 37-32. to 32. It was a, a game that went right down to the wire, and Clemson barely came out of there with the win. And I think here you're looking at a rivalry underdog uh, with South Carolina. They've been playing a lot better since Jake Bentley took over as the quarterback, the freshman. He's got a 6-1 ratio. Rico Dowdell at running back has given him that running back. He's averaging almost six yards a carry. Debo Samuel, a dangerous receiver. But it's Will Muschamp, so you know they have a decent defense. They're actually holding opponents to 47 yards per game below their season average in conference play. Their biggest loss this year, uh, they've had a couple of 13-point losses and a 10-point loss. So other than that, they just don't get blown out. So I don't see a blowout. Clemson comes into this about a 24-point favorite. I'm definitely taking the points with South Carolina, but I do sell, I have Clemson projected in my Final Four, so I'm picking Clemson to win the game. All right, Clemson in the winner's circle, and we're going to wind it up today so Phil can get to his television responsibilities with one more SEC-ACC. Sunshine State, Phil, top 15. Florida Gators still have some big ideas in their minds against the Knowles of Florida State. This used to be one of the classic rivalries, kind of lost its luster. How do you see it? 
Uh, and, you know, with Florida, they still have an outside shot at the playoffs. I mean, if they win their right. last two games, yep. Florida State and Alabama, they're the SEC champ yep. with wins over LSU, Florida State, and Alabama in three straight weeks. Heck, I'm putting them in the playoffs, but I don't know if it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to be a pretty good-sized underdog in those two games. But right. And I think in this game, the situation probably favors Florida State. You look at Florida last week, they got all fired up. They're an underdog. They're in Delft Valley. We shouldn't be playing here. We should be at home. Nobody's giving us a chance to win. And they end up beating LSU. Now, they had, did have those three stops inside the 10-yard line, resulting in zero points. They were all gained by 153 yards, but ended up winning, and that's the bottom line. Meanwhile, Florida State's pretty fresh here. They're coming off Boston College and Syracuse. Weren't really tested in either game. It's their home finale, the last game at home for Delvin Cook. Florida's got Alabama on deck. I think some of the kids might already be thinking about Atlanta and that big game against Alabama. So the situation really favors Florida State here. I'm going to call for Florida State to get the win. Okay, Florida State it is, says Phil. Hey, that's going to about have to put a wrap on it today. Like we said, Phil's got other responsibilities, but we love when you're locked down with us on Strongest Steel. And, Phil, real quick, uh, tell tell all of our listeners about Inside the Press Box and Steel'sWeeklyPreview.com. Yeah, Inside the Press Box is my weekly newsletter. Uh, it gives you uh, my computer's selection on each game, and then it also gives you my personal selection on each game. Sometimes my, me and the computer disagree. We have our arguments, but uh, I think you'll find it a fascinating newsletter. It's for someone that likes to, to handicap the games themselves. You get all the information at your fingertips, everything you could possibly want on the game. So head over to steelsweeklypreview.com. Should be a free sample up there for you to take a look how the site works. And then uh, you can send up, get on board for this big rivalry weekend that, that's upcoming this week uh, on Phil Steele uh, or on Inside the Press Box. Phil, have yourself, you and the family, have a terrific Thanksgiving day. Uh, try not to eat too much because you've got to be sharp now for, for rivalry week this weekend. And we'll see you back here next week on Strongest Steel. Have a good one. All right. Happy Thanksgiving to you too, Michael. Great doing the show again this week. As always, uh, Jim Nabosna, our producer, always on time, and uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and uh, your family as well. For all of you, we really appreciate it. Enjoy the Thanksgiving feast. Count your blessings all week long, and make sure Rivalry Week is one you enjoy. We'll see you right back here next week uh, on Blog Talk Radio on Strong as Steel. Now for Phil Steele and Jim Nabosna, I'm Michael Regai. Enjoy Thanksgiving, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Till then, so long.